One of the, the buzzwords if you're in employment now is talking about job satisfaction. How well you enjoy your job and if you, you like it and enjoy it and you're able to provide for your needs, maybe for the needs of your family. There's that idea perhaps of chasing fulfillment and a drive to, to achieve or to be ambitious. And those can be really, really good things, can't they? To encourage us to work, but often it gets really above and beyond anything else in our lives. Well, in 2022, which is last year, there's a couple of studies that show us that people and their job satisfaction really didn't match up to what they expected it would be. In 2022, one in five people changed their jobs in England, while one in three wanted to. Why? Well, it wouldn't be surprise you that the main reason was money. 70% of people said that. But close behind on 68% was this idea of feeling satisfied or wanting to feel fulfilled. People who, who work all their lives just seeking for that fulfillment, that achievement in life, to give their life meaning and purpose. And with all the trying people in their careers, maybe the Rolling Stones had it right, that I can't get no satisfaction. But the people are seeking the satisfaction in life. As we turn to Luke chapter 9 today, and I encourage you to follow along with me, there is a person who we can serve and be totally fulfilled in. And that is Jesus. And as we dive back into Luke's gospel, what have we been looking at over these weeks? Well, because Luke's the doctor, we have zoned in and zoomed in on some of the healings that Jesus has done, haven't we? Jesus has been doing lots and lots of teaching. There are very few parables that will come later in Luke's gospel. But throughout, Jesus has been demonstrating his power, hasn't he? Just in, in Luke chapter 8, if you, you flick back, Jesus has calmed the storm. He has healed Jairus' daughter. A woman has stopped bleeding after 10 years. And in chapter 5, the, the demons are defeated and they go into the pigs. Jesus is constantly showing his power. But between chapters 8 and 9, there seems to be a little break, doesn't there? Jesus has been traveling around. And in verse 1, it looks like the disciples have been home perhaps for a little while, Jesus calls the twelve together. He has been teaching performing miracles, but as Jesus is now calling them to himself, he then tell them to, to go, this good news of Jesus has been spreading from town to town, village to village, but it's slow work, isn't it? Jesus is only in one place at one time on earth, isn't he? If he is preaching in Capernaum, he's not in the wee village next door. He's not in Jerusalem talking about the kingdom of God. If the good news is to spread, it needs to be multiplied, doesn't it? If the good news is spread, it needs to, to go and to grow. And that's why Jesus calls his 12 disciples together again. And they are called by Jesus to work. As we are. Called by Jesus to work. As Jesus calls the twelve again, we think of the you know the team huddles in the middle of a of a match, perhaps, or before the game, a team talk in the changing room, or maybe a it's a, an office meeting, and we do it in church as well. We gather people together to, to have a meeting before we go our separate ways. In a movie, the SEALs team will gather around the, the map and have a plan and action as they look at the blueprints of the house they're about to rescue someone from. We get this idea of being called together to then go and in fact that's what Sundays are about as well we're called together as Christians 
to replenish our souls to help us in the week that lies ahead. But as Jesus gathers them together before they are scattered. And what are they going to do? They're going to do exactly what Jesus has been doing. Jesus has been teaching with authority. Jesus has been showing his power, hasn't he? Over the illness, the demons, the nature, as I've mentioned already. And that power and authority that Jesus has, he gives to his apostles, to his disciples. It's almost as if they're picking up the baton. They're they're carrying where Jesus has paused and stopped off at the minute. And they are now going to do. Their role is an extension of what Christ has been doing, of Christ's ministry. Now, we're not one of the twelve apostles, but we do share in this same power and authority from Jesus. How? Because if we profess faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us. That Spirit who raised Christ in the grave, who opened up our hearts to receive him, lives in us and dwells in us. We're called by Jesus to work, to pick up the baton. So how can we work for Jesus in this place? Because we have this power. The word is, is a dunamis, you know, it's the word for dynamite. Jesus gives us dynamite, power by his spirit. And what does dynamite do? Well, it's explosive, isn't it? It changes everything. And if we've trusted in the Lord Jesus, we know exactly what that's done in our lives. It turns the world, our worlds upside down. And it's that dynamite, that power of God's spirit that we have, that we can work for Jesus. Because as the disciples are sent out, they are given the message in verse 2, aren't they? What are they to do? Proclaim the kingdom of God. See, the message is not, as they go around village to village, if they came to Seaford, the message is not, folks, you need to do a whole lot better in what you're doing in life. The message is not, you just need to do more good than bad. The message is not even what some sermons have been, I dare to be like David or dare to be like a Daniel. No. The message is, trust in King Jesus. See, Jesus says, proclaim the kingdom. And a kingdom, we know it has land, but it has a ruler, a king. And it is Jesus who is this king. And that is the message we need to hear. It's the message we need to hear Sunday by Sunday, that Jesus is our king. For we are all ruled by something or someone, aren't we? There is always something that determines our actions. So what is it that we're ruled by? Some of us are we're, we're driven by money and that makes decisions for us. And there's an aspect where that's definitely true. We can't go buy a private plane because we don't have the funds. But how does our money drive us in our decision making, in our, our giving and in our, in our buying? That social aspect to be light. And we have conversation with our friends. We, we know they're wrong. We know that they're doing something that they're going to regret. But we don't speak up. Why? Because we just want to be light. We don't tell the truth about what people are experiencing because we're afraid. We, we want to be light and we change what we, how we act. We are ruled by wanting to be light. Our cars, our comfort, our political views, they determine everything else. And we are ruled by them. Because they say, well, I must agree with that. Well, I want to have comfort, so I need X, Y, and Z. But what we find is that they will leave you unsatisfied. 
Just like the disciples, we have been given this message. And we have to go. Everybody is ruled by something. And the message that they have to proclaim is Jesus is king. And as they have this message, they are sent out the disciples. And it's a really simple point, but it's also important, isn't it? The disciples don't stay in their holy huddle, talking to one another about the great things that Jesus did, or that Jesus is king of my life and he's king of your life. That is wonderful. But they proclaim the message, not just among themselves, but they went. And that's one of the challenges and perhaps even failings of the church, isn't it? It's this mistake that we make. We say, come on in. And that is right to do so. Don't hear me wrong. But we say, come to our church and you're very welcome. Come to our mission and you're really welcome there. Come to the place where we feel most comfortable. And it's right to say, come on in. But Jesus says to the disciples here, go out to where the people are at. It's a story of a, a, a grand and a grandson going fishing for the very first time. And the grandson was really, really excited. Because he heard his grandpa talk about these stories of, of going along the, the river and, and fishing. And just looking out uh, at the, the wildlife and the frogs and so on that he was so interested in. And his grandfather bought him a rod. Uh, and they, they set off. But the, the little boy, didn't, and his grandad picked him up from the house. Didn't bring his rod. And his grandad asked. You know, why aren't you bringing my fishing rod? He said, i got something far better to catch fish. So that's all right. They drove for a little while and they ended up at the river. And the granddad started to set up his little seat and the line and left it out. And he said, well, what, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to go. The grandson said, I'm going to go on down around the corner a little bit to set up. And so the granddad set everything up for himself and walked down a little bit down the river. And he saw his grandson sitting holding out one of those nets, with a big stick and the hoop in the net, with a little sign saying, all fish welcome here. We laugh. But isn't that what we do with the church? We hold out a little sign, all people welcome here, but we don't actually go in to where the fish are, where the people are. So in Clark and we are thankful and thrilled. There are so many people that come along week by week, but we need to go out and out it doesn't mean going to Morocco to provide aid. It can do, but it might not be that. Going out may not be even somewhere different for us. It's in the band, isn't it? In the lodge, where people say, well, I'm, I'm a, a Protestant, I know all these things, but they've no, they leave the Protestant faith out. It's the teams that we might be involved in, our office space, the school gate, our, our family or friends within our homes. They need to hear this message too, don't they? All of us are already out. But how are we casting? Are we doing it properly at the grandahar? Or we have our net out with just a little sign? So when you're called by Jesus to work, we are sent out. And as we are sent out, and as the disciples are sent out, they are told to travel light. Travel light. Jesus says, you know, take nothing with you. Not a spare change of clothes, no bread, no money, nada, not a thing. Why? Well, traveling light shows their dependence on God. It shows that they would have to trust in God more and more fully, perhaps. Jesus says to them, whenever you're welcome somewhere, stay. 
That's the Lord providing for you in that way. But as we journey our way through life, how do we travel? Now, all of us are set of clothes. I'm not saying we don't need that. But we want more, don't we? Greater security, more money to provide more, more time. And then maybe we'll do a little bit of work for Jesus. But here for the disciples, as they traveled lightly, as they proclaimed the message of the kingdom of God, as they said Jesus is king, as they carried literally their two arms down by their sides, as people heard their message, they were able to look at the disciples and say, well, you know what? What they say is true. Jesus really must be their king. God must really be their treasure. But how do we travel through life? We accumulate lots, don't we? We ought to travel lightly in our world, not accumulating stuff. Why? Why is it good if we travel lightly as Christians so that our witness would be more credible? That others can look at us and say, wow, God really is their treasure, you know. Jesus sends them off. There's a great excitement, I'm sure, in the disciples. They witness what Jesus has done. And then Jesus tells them, you're going to be able to do that. And as they go around from town to town and village to village, as they have witnessed reactions from people, as they see people uh, coming to faith, as they see lepers cleansed perhaps, these men, they are literally going to change the world later. There's a great excitement. But just before they are sent off, Jesus gives them a warning, doesn't he? Verse 5. We need to be prepared to be met with unbelief. Verse 5, Jesus says, Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus says, go with what you have. Go with nothing and go with this message. Some will accept it and others will reject. Some will hear the message, but if they say no thanks, you walk away. Later in the Gospels, Jesus will remind us that they don't reject the disciples as such. They reject Jesus. So we need to be prepared to be met with unbelief. There are some people who hear the words, the kingdom of God, that Jesus ought to be our king, but they'd rather be king themselves. Jesus says to them, whenever that happens, shake the dust off your feet. What does that mean? Well, in, in these days in the Old Testament as well, whenever Israelites were living in Israel, if they traveled outside the, the country, outside of the boundaries, and they went back into Israel at the border, so literally one step over the border, they shook the dust off their feet. Why? It was a, a sense in which they were saying, I'm leaving that pagan world behind, all their diseases and stuff, and I'm going to live for this God and for this country. So think, like 25 years ago now, you know, foot and mouth disease, you had to dip your feet, you're getting in off the plane, you're leaving the germs behind, if you like. Lots of the people are doing is they, they enter into Israel. And Jesus is saying, well, that's what you have to do. If you go into somebody's house, if you go into a village and they say, we don't want Jesus to be our king, shake the dust off your feet, leave those pagans behind. They do not trust. It's a, a sense of judgment, isn't it? So you need to be prepared to be met with unbelief because some people will reject Jesus. And then Herod pops into the story, doesn't he? 
Herod hears all that is going on and he is greatly troubled by it. He has sleepless nights. And because Herod enters the story, he is the king, he has beheaded John. It leaves us to ask the question, who is king? Here he has been troubled, he is haunted by the past. Let me ask us, who are we ruled by? Are you sitting in your pew, in your little throne, saying, well, this is my seat, this is my throne, this is my life. I'm the king or I'm the queen. Are we going to listen to this message of Jesus, that he is the king, how? Because he died on the cross, conquered death, and he lives in this everlasting throne. Who is the king of our lives? Who are we being ruled by? Are we going to be like Herod and be ruled by the desires of our hearts? Or are we going to submit to Jesus as our ruler? See, as the disciples go and they share these, this message of the kingdom of God and as they heal many people, Jesus call, well, seems to call them back again and they return in verse 12 and verse 10 around Jesus again. And Jesus says, it's time to get some rest. But as the day moves on, the crowds gather. Jesus begins to teach and to teach and to teach. They're in a desolate place in the middle of nowhere. And the disciples, they've had enough. You know, they've been busy traveling about already. They pro- were promised a little bit of rest. And they say to Jesus, send everyone away. Send everyone home. And Jesus says, let's feed them. And what do they have? All they have is five loaves and two fish. And this is what we learn from this little story. We need to be giving Jesus what we have. Give Jesus what you have. This crowd is massive, isn't it? 5,000 people plus men and women, or sorry, boys and, women and boys and girls. The crowd was too big. The needs of the other people were too great for the disciples and they felt utterly overwhelmed, didn't they? And in our work for the Lord, isn't it true that sometimes we can feel overwhelmed in it? That the need is too great. The amount that we have to do is too much. The crowd around us is too big. And the disciples come to Jesus And Jesus says, no, you sort it out. Jesus gives the disciples the responsibility. Verse 13, you give them something to eat. And while the responsibility for the disciples is really obvious in this passage, isn't it? They're going to have to sort out some food. But we also have a responsibility as well, don't we? Because God chooses to use his people to bless others. The initial need here is food nourishment but what is the need around us that would be a means or a road that leads to our saviour whether it be the loneliness or the friendship the, the love and community what are the needs around us what are the needs that we haven't touched or uh, we leave things for other people to do because we need to be giving Jesus what we have because with a little God can do a lot can't he five loaves Two fish, yet the Lord is able to multiply it and bless it and provide for all the needs of the people. So what resources do we have? What resources do you have as individuals or we as a congregation? Because we have a lot. But even with a little, God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says this. 
Everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Those who have been entrusted with much, much is expected. We have a whole lot more than five loaves and two fish, don't we? Yet, with all our abilities, we can look at all the needs. There's a part of us that know we are inadequate for all of this job. How could God use people like us or even what we have? Because there are ways that we do feel inadequate. Yet God is able to use our inadequacies for his glory. Because as we give Jesus what we have, with a little he can do a lot, it leads to blessing in this story, doesn't it? In verse 14, he has them sit down in groups of 50. Jesus has a plan for how this is going to happen. And then verse 15 and 16, Jesus takes the loaves. He, he prays. There was a prayer. And then he says a blessing over the people. There's a plan. There's a prayer. There's a promise of blessing as this God takes what is given for his glory. So what is our plan? In giving what we have to Jesus, how, when, or what is our prayer like? Because God promises blessing. That, though, uh, that the God will build his church, that his kingdom will come. Because sometimes we say, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, but the reality is we don't commit ourselves fully or wholly. We need to be giving Jesus what we have. This week started the, the Rugby World Cup. And the South African captain is Sia Kulisi. Sia was brought up in a, in a slum settlement in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. His mum was a, a teenage mum at the age of 15. So he was really brought up by his grandmother and an aunt and uncle. It was a celebration during the week if they had a meal to enjoy together. He didn't have a bed to sleep in. Toys were non-existent. And at the age of 10, he was drinking and sniffing petrol. But his grandmother had a faith in the Lord Jesus. And she would have taken Sia along the church. And he remind, remembers her fondly in his life. For she always put her, his needs above her needs. Whether that be food and so on. But his grandmother died in his teenage years. And he found this future in rugby. Becoming the first black captain of South Africa, which is quite significant. Winning the World Cup in 2019 as well. But in 2015, Sia began to feel the Holy Spirit pursuing him. As he battled temptation, sin, lifestyle choices, he realized, although he called himself a Christian, he was not living the Christ-like life, like life. And a friend said the hard thing to him. A friend said, Sia, you drink a lot. You fool around. You post on social media about your faith in Christ. But you're lying to yourself. And to everyone else. So 2019. Sia says this. Well I grew up going to church with my grandmother. And went off, at on the, off and on in the past few years. It wasn't until a few months ago. That I truly gave my life to Christ. While struggling with a lot of things. Personally temptation, sin, lifestyle choices. I realised I wasn't living to according to what I called myself. A follower of Jesus. I was getting by. But I hadn't decided to fully commit myself to Jesus and start living according to his way. That was until something I was struggling with in my personal life was exposed in the public arena. But when my sin was exposed, 
I knew I either had to change my life or lose everything. I decided to lose my life and find it in Christ. I've been able to discover the truth and saving power of Christ in a whole new way. This new life has given me a peace in my heart that I'd never experienced before. Now that I have given everything to God, nothing else affects me. What's he saying there? He's saying like many of us, he got on as if he was a Christian for a little while. He went to church on and off. He did those things. He probably gave money to the church. But the Holy Spirit exposed the sin in his life. And he found satisfaction in Jesus. And that's our last thing today. Be satisfied in Jesus. Verse 17. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples had to go around and they picked up 12 baskets of food. They filled one basket each. What was Jesus teaching them? Jesus was teaching that God provides for us. God provides for each one of us in all of life. But for our greatest need, the salvation from our sin. For he is the bread of life. That we will not hunger or thirst. We will be satisfied in Jesus. That abundant a blessing in Christ. Everything in this world. The things that rule over us will not leave us satisfied. We will lose all of our lives. All that we earn in our lives, we will lose. But in Christ, we find life in him. Just as the apostles went down from village to village, they knocked on people's doors. Some they are welcomed in, some they are weren't. Christ has met with us this morning. He has entered our house so metaphorically. Are you going to be welcoming him in? Or is Jesus going to be leaving and shaking the dust off his feet? Saying that is a pagan heart. Amen.